This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for creatives, dreamers and entrepreneurs online. I'm your host, Sarah Tasker, a certified coach specializing in creative business and all things related to social media and the digital realm. This is episode 114. How are you doing? It's very nice to be here with you. So thank you for hitting play and subscribing if you do and for leaving a review if you're going to after this episode. Nudge, nudge. It's always the highlight of my week when I speak to someone who says they're a podcast listener. So to all of you, I'm very glad to be here with you. Today's episode is one I recorded not that long ago, maybe a couple of months ago, but in the podcasting world, that's not so long, especially if you're someone who is batching episodes. And yet, when I looked back over the show notes for this episode so I could record this introduction, it really struck me just how much some of the things we touch upon have already changed. Lisa and I met on Twitter. So we talk about Twitter quite a bit. And I remember Lisa specifically mentions her blue tick on Twitter, which if you've been following the Twitter drama of Elon Musk's purchase and what's happened since, you might know that blue tick is different now over there. Blue tick is available for $8 to anyone who wants to buy it, including people who want to impersonate major pharmaceutical companies or celebrities. So that's been fun. If I was going to predict what's going to happen next with Twitter, I feel like we're on the Titanic and we can see the iceberg. We've not hit it yet, but the captain is like full steam ahead. So it's kind of inevitable. That's my guess. We're not sinking just yet, but you know, it's not looking good. So I have joined Mastodon and Post. Those seem to be the leading Twitter alternatives right now. I've not really spent too much time on either of them. But I hope to fall in love with one of them and to make it my newest obsession because that's always fun. I've also gone back to Tumblr. If any of you remember that old gem, uh, I've had an account there for a long time, so I'm kind of using it again more, but mainly for fangirling. So (laughs) I'm not sure that has the same wide appeal. What I have seen is a huge, huge spike in people moving to Substack. Pretty much everyone I follow on Twitter now has subscribed to my Substack in their bio. And it is particularly journalists and writers and creatives. But it's really interesting seeing how different people are using it and seeing that momentum that we've already talked about on this podcast for the platform. I am excited. The other thing Lisa and I spoke about in this episode that came back to me was investing in property and how she's been building a property portfolio and investing her money. And of course, since then, the economy has changed and interest rates are scary. We just had to get quotes for our mortgage when the fixed term ends and it's going to be like £200 more a month just on our house here in Yorkshire. So I wonder now what Lisa and I would say in that part of the conversation in light of how rapidly things have changed. I guess that was my overall takeaway when I looked back over the show notes for this episode was, wow, sometimes things change really, really fast and we don't always see them coming, which is not the most comforting of thoughts. But if there's one thing I have learned to rely on, it is that we can outcreate any problem. Those of us who live a creative life, whether that be our business or our hobbies or just the way we show up in the world, have overcome so much already to just be here doing what we do. And although things might get harder and things might get more uncomfortable, I have absolute faith in my brain and its ability to find solutions if I let it do its thing. And I have that same faith in yours. Human creativity is boundless. And so when things get scary, I take deep breaths and remind myself of that. Hopefully that doesn't sound like a platitude and me suggesting you can just watercolor away your problems. But sometimes it's an important thing to hold on to, right? When things feel hopeless or the panic starts to spiral, looking back at your track record and noticing that you've always found a way. And as always, I'm here if you're struggling, if your business is in a difficult time or you need someone to talk to, or you just need some community, reach out to me and I will do my very best to get back to you. If I see your message, you'll definitely hear back from me. Instagram DM me, tweet me, all that jazz. Anyway, I actually think the conversation Lisa and I have, all of that stuff aside, is still quite timeless and hopefully still super useful to you. Lisa talks really honestly about the realities of being a single parent and a freelancer and a travel journalist who needs to go all around the world sometimes 
and also living with ADHD. And I think it's so important that we have these conversations and we hear about the behind the scenes of other people's working and domestic lives, especially when so much of what we all present on the outside, whether that be on social media or just face-to-face encounters, has the gloss of acceptable perfection. Social media gets a negative rap for that, right? That we're all putting on a front and we're all only showing the edited highlights. But I do think that that's a very human instinct we all have. I remember doing the exact same thing in the staff room after a weekend in the NHS, telling people only the good bits, picking the outfit that was the most flattering, cleaning my house before my mother-in-law came over. And in this episode, Lisa gives us the truth. It's an amazing truth and she has an awesome career. It's also a relatable truth. So hopefully for anyone out there feeling like maybe their behind the scenes isn't living up to what other people's might look like, it's a helpful reminder that everyone is striving and struggling to make this stuff work. Lisa and I would love to hear your thoughts on the episode. You can obviously tweet us if Twitter still exists by the time you're listening to this. And if not, find us on Instagram, find us on whatever the new Twitter is. Heck, find me on Tumblr, who knows? But I would love to talk to you. Okay, here's Lisa. Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Can you tell everyone about who you are and what you do? Well, I'm Lisa Francesca Nand. I'm a journalist, a broadcast journalist, I guess, first and foremost, and podcaster. So I specialize in travel and I have the travel podcast, which is called The Big Travel Podcast. Oh, I'm I'm a travel expert on TV and radio as well. Just a few bits and pieces then, not too much going on. <laughs> yeah, no, there's quite a lot going on. I think that's the, that's the thing about my my life and work is everything's so bitty. And uh, some days it be it feels it'd be a lot easier if I just went to work, did one mm. job and came home. But as it is, I feel like I'm doing five different jobs. And why is that? Is that by choice? Is that following passion? Is that what works best for you? It's all of those things and none of those things. It is by choice. Um, also, I haven't been offered a full-time job in a long time. Do they still <laughs> I have, exist? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't think I'd want one anyway. You know, it'd have to be uh, something really special for me to have one. Um, one of the jobs, jobs I do, jobs in inverted commas, is, is I'm a mum and I've, mm. I'm a single mum of two children. So um, it is my choice to sort of not work all the time but as it is I seem to end up working all of the time (laughs) as well as not working all of the time my whole life is work and my whole life is play and it does mean nice things like I can take a couple of hours off to go to the gym or to have lunch and there's definitely days where I don't do much at all but it also means that I might be editing a podcast at at midnight Mm -hmm. and and I never have a holiday I'm always working when I'm away but yeah I, I guess it's a I guess it's a choice It's ironic that you say you never have a holiday because I suspect from the outside it might look like your life is just one big gorgeous holiday. It, it it could possibly look a little bit like that if you follow me on Instagram. And um, I, I do go away a lot. Uh, some of it's work, some of it's play and some of it's, you know, a bit more like my life. I I, uh, I, I make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm working as well as playing. Um, and actually, one thing I really love to do, and I live here in, in Brighton next to the sea. I've just moved back here after several years away in, in London. Um, I really want to make where I live a holiday too. Um, my wise friend said to me the other day, uh, create a life for yourself that you don't need a holiday mm. from. And obviously that's not always possible for all of us, including me. You know, there's many days where I'm crying over breakfast, trying to get the kids out on time. You think I'm joking. I'm absolutely serious. There's plenty of uh, mornings that I'm in tears, you know, thinking, oh my God, what have I got to do? Uh, Everyone can relate, I'm sure. Um, But but overall, you know, that's something that I really try and do is try and and create a life that you don't need to take a holiday from. I think... I think I've come across that somewhere before, maybe on Pinterest. And what really resonates with me about that as well is the things that you want to bring back from a holiday are not always necessarily the things you expect. So obviously, like the sunshine and the beach might be wonderful to have in your back garden all the time. But often it's things like the simplicity of only having what's in a suitcase and it's the way you spend your time and it may be the way you eat together as a family and things like that. Absolutely. For me, it's the way I, I, I spend my time and also the way you appreciate um, the, the simple things, you know, such as the walk down to the beach, such as the the meal you're eating or the beautiful coffee you're having or the, the view. And I do try and live 
my life here in Brighton and, you know, when I travel around this country, uh, when I'm in London as well, which I am quite a lot for work. And also, I, you know, I only just moved there two years ago. I try and treat it like a tourist. You know, I try and think, well, let's go and try that cafe. Let's take the, the yeah. silly bus ride that goes somewhere out of our way. And above all, actually, I just walk. Um, I was up in London uh, the other day. I did 30,000 steps, you know, just going from from one place to another. And I often do that here in, uh, in Brighton. And I'm lucky enough, you know, to be fit and able uh, to, mm. to do that I realize that but um yeah just exploring so exploring your own area but also other areas as often as I can too is that how travel became your thing is it this natural passion you have for exploring I think so. I went on my first holiday when I was six weeks old. Wow. We were living in the, uh, we were living on the Wirral where I grew up. I'm half from the Wirral and half Indian Fijian. My dad's an Indian Fijian. So it's probably in the blood anyway, because, you know, he came to the UK mm. and, and traveled a lot, traveled the world as well before he, he got here. Um, but on my first holiday at six weeks old, talked to North Wales. I apparently cried the whole way through. <laughs> um, but there's been a love, love for travel ever since. But I, I mean, I didn't specialize in travel, first of all. I, you know, I trained as a broadcast journalist and then sort of accidentally fell into travel and um, music was probably my first thing uh, that's probably what I wanted to do ah. work in music but travel is, is a close second and indeed the big travel podcast is a total rip-off in many ways of desert island discs because that would be my um, <laughs> that would be my ideal job so I, I, I decided to create a version of, of that I could do myself without having a gatekeeper like Radio 4 tell me, no, you can't have this job because someone better's got it. Right. Or you can't talk about this topic because it's not on brand or you can't go in this direction. Like the Internet does make so much of that free and possible. It does. And, you know, that's exactly what I love. And I'm sure that's what you're, you know, the, the creatives uh, that you interview mm. for, for this podcast, it's all about. It's actually, you know, there was a time where I always wanted to be, well, later on, like in my sort of late teens, early 20s, I always wanted to be a presenter. And I had no contacts, no family money, no, you know, wealthy parents mm. that I could go and live in London for yeah. a while and do some work experience. And, you know, I, I felt like all, all doors were completely closed to me and actually my my uh, you know sort of entry into this creative world is not online first of all it was traditional uh, via broadcast journalism by doing an MA but I had to wait until I was 29 to do that because it really did feel like all doors were, were closed to me and at 29 I went back to university and I did an MA in broadcast journalism and only then would doors open and actually they, they opened quite quickly once they did start to, to open and I think maybe that's because I was already 29 and had a, yeah. had a, a you know experience in a way into the, knew what the workplace was about but that's the one thing that online has done is it's taken away to a certain extent those gatekeepers that say no you're not middle class no you're not you know white you know, you're not, exactly all of those things and it's enabled us to you know to to thrive hopefully thrive in our own ways without someone telling you no you can't have that job and then the diversity that comes as a result of that just because we're able to hear from people from all different walks of life much more freely like I would choose personally I would choose to pick a podcast out of my podcast app rather than go straight to something like the BBC podcast feed for that reason even now? Yeah, I think I think I I try and do that as well. Um, but, you know, I'm saying all this because I'm I'm sort of I, I create all this stuff myself. But actually, when it comes to my own choices, I don't really listen to a lot of uh, podcasts. I don't really watch a lot of TV. I feel like again back to juggling juggling those five jobs, including one of them being a single mum of two very lively boys. Um, I don't feel like I have time no. to go. You know, as well as creating stuff. So I, I feel in a little way I miss out um, because of that. But, you know, we can't do everything, can we? Well, we can't. And what's interesting about that is that a lot of people I speak to, maybe people I'm coaching who find themselves a bit stuck, it's very easy to fall into a pattern where you consume a lot and create nothing. And it's interesting that you've gone the other way. Yeah, I, I have, have absolutely gone the other way. I create everything and consume um very little and as it you know as it does make me feel a little bit out of touch sometimes particularly on platforms that I'm not so good at so such as you and your 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 Instagram experience in fact you're one of the first people that I followed because I got into Instagram and a friend of mine said oh you must follow her and I was like <laughs> okay and um and you know it makes me feel a little bit out of touch with things like that because I'm not consuming it so I'm not you know sort of mm. learning and learning learning but you know again you you can only do so much and for me my biggest platform platform is, is Twitter and also of course the podcast. And has that how has that served you? Talk to me about the podcast and Twitter and, and what 
the, how they work for you in this kind of multifaceted job you've created? Well, I guess in chronological order, uh, Twitter was my first sort of foray into, into an online presence. I was on, when did I open start Twitter? I was uh, the I was working on TalkSport, actually. I was the first ever female presenter on wow. TalkSport. Uh, something that they've sort of conven- conveniently forgotten about when books are written and history is written about TalkSport, oh. which it is, they don't sort of mention me, but I was actually their first ever f- uh, female presenter. I, I'm not a sports uh, person or a sports journalist. I was co-presenting a late night show with uh, Ian Collins. In fact, he was the main presenter. I was the sidekick. You do have the perfect radio voice it's oh, so good thank you so much thank you and um and I started Twitter then and actually um very very quickly built up a bit of a following uh, for that time um because I got a, a blue tick quite early on which I'm, uh, I was yeah. quite pleased with. I know it sounds shallow and there's many there's a whole can of worms we could <laughs> open about me feeling feeling good about my blue tick but I do feel good about it don't have one on Instagram and um but then um when I left talk sports um I I fell into travel writing and actually, funny enough, Simon Calder, who's obviously the king of all travel journalism, uh, he got me my first gig because ah. he was a he was a a guest, a regular guest with our show on Talk Sport, and I offered to write for him, and he said yes. Um, so that's probably a bit of nepotism there, but you know, I'd put in my time by then. I was already thirty, and um, and but then after I I sort of fell out of 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 using Twitter for a while because I don't know if you've if you know but I I um, had lots of miscarriages I had five miscarriages and made a documentary about it for mm. discovery um and I, I just sort of started filming my journey because I realized when I was going through the miscarriages I realized there wasn't that much support out there um and so I started sort of, you know as a journalist I, I couldn't help it I'm not really sure why I started filming but I started documenting what I was going through and and, and in the end I managed to sell it to um the the discovery channel and we created this you know documentary and it went really really well we in fact we were even viral on on um on twitter we trended number seven uh which was fantastic but during that time i stopped using twitter and it's one thing that i really one hand i really regret it because it meant it means that my account is not as big you know i've I've had to spend the last couple of years sort of building it up when i thought oh i know i've got a blue tick on twitter i should really be doing something with, with that so i started using twitter again but um you know, on the, on the other hand, I, I have to forgive myself because I was going through some really horrible experiences and I was just so focused on the miscarriages that my work just fell by the wayside, completely by the wayside. And that's including uh, Twitter as well. But I'm now back on it or, or back, you know, posting. And it's it's gone. It's gone really well, actually. It's gone really well. I'm I'm on. It's not a huge account by any standards, but I'm on over fourteen thousand on my main account and over five thousand on the Big Travel Podcast account, and it's growing. And it's it's because I, um, I don't do this strategically, um, but I I do engage with people because mm. I love it. Because a lot of the time I'm sitting at home on my own, bored out my skull, trying yes. to trying to find any excuse whatsoever not to work <laughs> or not to tidy the kitchen or or the fact that I can't see carpet in my bedroom because I've just yes. checked clothes on the floor so I love chatting with people on there um so so it has gone you know it's been a, a an up and down journey but as it is at the moment I'm really enjoying Twitter and I've, I've met loads of it, actually people that have become real friends on there yeah same and actually I know a lot of people listening to this it's probably the least popular platform amongst my audience you guys listening right now and I think I know why that is because it does have a reputation for being an argumentative platform, like quite a conflict-driven platform, but that's not really my experience of it at all. Um, it, but it's definitely certainly there. We, you can wade in when you want to, and I do. But it's it doesn't come to your doorstep in the way people think. It doesn't. I think you have to put that vibe out there. And several years ago, particularly around 2016, you know, when we were in the Brexit and the Trump uh, and yeah. the, the, those sort of you know dark years as they were for some of us politically, um, I did put a lot of political arguments out there and I probably got a bit of that back. Mm. Um, but now for me, yeah, I don't get that. I just get nice little chit chats. And like I said, I've made real friends and, and people that I, you know, I, you and I, Sarah, have never spoken before now, but we chat a lot on Twitter. Yeah. I kind of almost most class you as a friend same like I feel like we know each other really well (laughs) exactly so it's got that sort of personal personal touch which I think radio has that touch and of course Instagram has that touch but nobody really engages with me on Instagram you'll have to give me a few pointers to let me know what I'm doing wrong definitely we can have a chat afterwards but also I do think that's probably a lot of people's experience right now on Instagram that that 
that connection and that conversation is harder to harder to initiate and harder to sustain and Twitter makes it really really simple and I was also thinking when you were saying about like wanting to avoid things and all the reasons why Twitter is perfect it's also when you're a parent don't you find if you actually sit and have a conversation with someone it's very rare that you ever manage to finish anything like even a sentence before you're interrupted because someone wants a snack or is spilt something and twitter is a place where you can like just condense your thoughts into like a neat tidy tweet and it's finished and it's out there. definitely one of those things that really annoyed me when because I had maybe because of the miscarriages but I had kids later than some of my friends oh my god how annoying was it if you went out with a friend and they had a toddler and you didn't <laughs> and the to- they're like just look me in the eye I'm telling you about my latest I don't know book boyfriend holiday whatever you're not interested in it's not because they're not interested it's just that they don't have you know the, the, the whole yes the bandwidth the whole other thing is all consuming and I think that explains again back to doing doing those those five jobs or whatever it is. I think that's one of the reasons a lot of us think we've got ADHD at the moment, including me. I'm thinking, have I got ADHD? But although I haven't been diagnosed, I did do one of those online tests and it certainly seemed quite positive. Yeah, brackets, maybe lots of us do just have ADHD, but carry on. <laughs> yes, no, exactly. No, but I think I think I actually do. I yeah. think, you know, I. but I, I don't remember feeling like this um, 10, 20, 30 no. years ago. So I... I, it's, I'm sure this is a, there's a scientific study in this is I, I do really genuinely feel I, I might, I, I do have ADHD. And, um, you know, even if I look back at my childhood, like some of the ways that, that women, uh, mask this, you know, yeah. by re- reading a lot, getting really hyper-focused on yeah. it. So I was diagnosed a couple of years ago. I don't know if you know that. Um, I think I possibly do. Yeah. It's like everyone online seems to have been diagnosed in the last yeah. couple of years. So, but yeah, say very much the same. And, and, It's interesting. So so I I watch Orla and she's not diagnosed and I don't want to pathologize, but um, I do see a lot of traits in her that I recognize from me. And the big difference, of course, is that now you're able to feed your attention in such a different way to when we were younger, like not to be like, this was all fields when we were children. But, you know, you had to be bored. And I watch her like she's not really she's got a bike and she doesn't ride it very much and I was sort of feeling quite nostalgic and thinking oh my god I really thought you know we'd have these years of her going out and riding around on her bike and then I thought but actually all I used to do is just ride backwards and forwards backwards and forwards on our like little suburban street you know don't go past that lamppost and don't go past that lamppost at the other end and it was because there was nothing else to do it was mind-numbingly boring of course if there's other options available to them now other than Mm. just riding backwards and forwards on the same stretch of pavement for two hours they're going to take them yeah people I think children you know adults because of the internet we don't get bored anymore we don't have time to get bored but you know on the ADHD uh subject um I, I think it might be a chicken and egg thing. You know, it, you, mm. if you're online like we are, it might it might be a, appear that we're all being diagnosed with ADHD or all think we possibly might have ADHD. But actually, it could be a chicken and egg thing. Are we attracted to our online lives and careers precisely yes. because, you know, we, we have that personality or that tendency or indeed that learning difference? And good at it for that reason, for that absorbed focus slight obsessive tendencies and also I've really found so many of my closest friendships are with people who either go on to get a diagnosis or certainly could investigate it if they wanted to because you're on a similar wavelength definitely and there's probably loads of pockets of people out there who don't know anyone being diagnosed with it at the moment it's just that we have chosen these these ways of life for work and also like you said for the uh for the people we choose to have around us we have a lot in common perhaps and that's I mean that's the beauty of conversations like this and just increasing the visibility of it is it's it's only when you hear someone else say it and you think oh but they seem kind of normal they seem a bit like me and then you think wait a minute maybe I've got ADHD and all the pieces start to fall into place uh, mine is very personal and I, I don't know you you because you post, post such beautiful pictures of, of you know where you live and of course the, the French house now and uh, you know do you have a pile of crap in the oh, background yes. oh, oh yeah and I'm, I'm quite open about that like I definitely sometimes I'll do the picture and then I'll turn around and be like but this is also the reality <laughs> the way I cope though my ADHD brain like I have to have as little stuff in my life as possible mm. I find clutter so overwhelmingly distracting Um, but I love stuff. So of course it's a constant process of like pruning and refining and removing. Um, 
but that's the only way I can keep a space looking anything remotely tidy. And I have a very good husband who does things like empty bins and washes up because I don't know if they would ever get done if it was just me. Can you just send him down to do mine as well? Yeah, he's amazing. I think he should start a school for like people who want to wash up because he's got a natural passion for it. I don't I don't want to do it. I, I'm like you. I don't want the clutter around me. My The clutter is distracting. But it, instead of doing something about it, what I do is I close the door and I leave. And I'm happy when I'm out the house. I'm happy when I'm out, you know, back to that nature for exploring. Mm. Um, I just close the door on it and go, which doesn't help when you, you know, you eventually have to come back and, you know, tidy up or cook dinner. <laughs> right. And it actually, you know, the, the interest in travel fits so well with ADHD, doesn't it? Because it's that constant desire for like new stimulation new adventure simplification kind of seeing the world it all would fit yeah absolutely and i you know i don't know if our if our lives with all the the bits and you know help it or not um but they they certainly bring attention to it you know i don't know if you Mm. get this but some days i'm wondering if i'm going mad or senile because I I forget things or or I you know I I just forget stuff and I think a lot of people can relate to that now you know there's just so many things to juggle that other things you just don't see until it's too late (laughs) absolutely and that's the pace of life now is is even just from when we were younger is so much faster and so much more filled every minute of the day is filled and for all we we can say that and say oh there's no time to get bored anymore like we could choose it but it's very very hard to convince your brain to choose boredom when other options are available all of the time i think for for that sort of space that people we used to fill with boredom people feel people that are better organized or more spiritual or just less adhd yeah less adhd or just acing life more than i am uh, (laughs) we'll do we'll do meditation or yoga or some sort of mindfulness and i just can't i just can't bring myself to do all of that i can go to the gym i can work out but to do anything that involves being sitting and peaceful i just can't do it the best meditation the only one that my brain's ever hooked onto is sam harris's app called waking up and it's much more it's kind of neuroscience based and um is quite structured so he's there kind of keeping you interested for a lot of the practice that's the only way even then though the act of getting myself to sit down and do it is the hardest bit oh yeah well, maybe i should give it a go thank you There's I'll a free have a trial go. i can send you a link and you get free trial okay yeah i'll give it i'll give it a go but you know i've still got about five podcast episodes i've got to edit and i'm just gonna close the door on them in a minute and go and have coffee <laughs> <laughs> isn't that the point yes you've got to live life you haven't you you've got to you've absolutely got to you know to live your life we, we only get one shot of it well I think so I, I tend to think so too but other, <laughs> other spiritual options are available exactly yeah. <laughs> apart from that's it we die and we get on with it oh, well it's lovely chatting to you <laughs> <laughs> so Twitter is online home for you would you say more than anywhere else yeah, so Twitter, you asked me about my Twitter journey and all my, also my podcast journey. But as it is, I've witted on about Twitter, miscarriages, ADHD, radio. Um, That's what we do. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So my podcast journey, would you like to know about yeah, that? Tell us that one. Okay, so my podcast journey is a, a very na- was a very natural step for me because you know I did start off in 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 the media at least in in radio and you know that that went very well very quickly and my actually my first job in travel was doing video online video and I I kind of wish I continued because I really really enjoyed doing online video um, but I got offered a a regular freelance gig for Sky.com the website you know associated. Mm. Sky TV and every fortnight so twice a month I had to produce an online video and uh, a blog so a blog and a vlog I guess would probably yeah. call it back then you know an accompanying blog and vlog so video diary specializing in luxury travel anywhere in the world was this as you like you blogging your experiences or more kind of as Sky it's as me yeah so I'm I was me Lisa you know going off and exploring yes. luxury hotels for Sky I don't know if you know anything about the way that uh, travel journalism works but it's very partial and very we're very easily bought you know mm. we have um very few morals in that sense <laughs> um I jest a little bit obviously I do have morals but um but you know a posh hotel will send you somewhere and give you the most amazing time and you have to come home and you know write it up and you know it's very easy to say wonderful things about it because it is absolutely wonderful these hotels are 
you know, as wonderful as we as we say, but it's a nice, a nice cushy gig. Um, and if you have a, a confirmed commission for something like I had for uh, for Sky, I could go on basically any press trip in the world. So I, I had this really wow. cushy few years of, uh, of of doing that. But actually, it's funny, even then it was it, online video felt like it was in its infancy, yeah. a kind of a, I think PRs are, are slower to adapt to, um, you know, online than than, yeah. than we are. And I remember one PR going, "Oh, you work for Sky.com, and we're, we're only doing national press at the moment." I was like, "This is the internet, <laughs> literally global." <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's literally international. It's not just nat- national. Um, but then, so I did all this travel and then, then I sort of, you know, took a pause for the miscarriages and to make the documentary. And I was at this sort of crossroads, you know, I'd had the kids and thought, well, I I miss interviewing people. I miss radio. I haven't been offered a radio job, nor have I pursued one to be fair, but I haven't just been offered one, you know, sometimes maybe you have to apply, but, um, you know, God forbid that I do anything so basic as apply. (laughs) Just waiting for the offer. Yeah, exactly. Just waiting for the offer. That's what I do. So nobody offered. So I just thought, you know what, I'll create my own podcast um what year is this can you remember yeah it was um well like the podcast launched in february 2018 so Mm. it was the the run-up to that and um i remember feeling incredibly nervous um and i was writing a book at the time a book that i wrote and and never did anything with it's just a novel and it's sitting there and i i I don't know what to do with it but again for an offer on that one too well i know i did send it out actually but it's again it's back to those gatekeepers and i actually think it's quite a nice novel you know it's not going to win any literary prizes but it could definitely you know entertain you on a beach in the on your summer holiday um but um yeah, I've thought about it. I've thought about it, which is basically what I did with the podcast. You know, having not mm-hmm. had a great job thrown at my feet, <laughs> I, uh, I, I I did it. And it's been a while since I'd been full time on radio and in audio. And I thought, you know what? You know, I don't know if you get this, but some people say to me, oh, you're really brave putting yourself out there. But to me, what would be more brave or more more scary, I would say, is actually not doing it. Yes. You know, not doing something to me is more scary than doing it. You know, not trying, not having a go. The regret as well and the kind of the missed opportunities are more uncomfortable to me than the the fear of new. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So to me, it's about fear of not, you know, it is I'm starting it with fear. You know, I'm starting most projects with yes. fear that I haven't started them. And I, I thought, you know, how would you feel if this time next year, when you'd had this little idea for the podcast and this time next year you hadn't done it. Mm. And to me, that was with the podcast. That was my, you know, that made me do it. And I you know I've got a few well-known friends. I persuaded them to be interviewed. And I, I, the first time, the first person I interviewed for the podcast was Paul, Paul Ross. I don't know if you know Paul Ross. Yes. He's Jonathan Ross's brother. He's a producer he was, and uh, presenter. He was working at talk sport, uh, talk radio at the time. And I, uh, with my first interview, I'd written down every single, a bit like when I was on the radio for the first time, which was travel news, like traffic and travel, you know, on the M25, that sort of thing. Mm. My hands were shaking. I wrote everything down and read it word for word on the, my first time doing traffic and travel news, my first <laughs> time on live radio. And a little bit like going back to that with Paul Ross, I had every single question, you know, sort of written out and I asked it, you know, from start to finish, I went through them all. And, uh, you know, it, it went well. And we very soon we began to appear in top 10 podcasts in the national press not just international internet but in the national (laughs) newspaper which is what's important and uh, yeah so I'm now on episode 148 it's about four years later and I think it's it's fair to say it's gone gone relatively well. What's changed for you then since episode one and now where you are now in terms of not only just the fear, hopefully, and the writing of very structured questions, but like, have you changed how you record it? Have you changed your schedule? What things have you kind of adapted over the way? For the first year, I released an episode every week, which was intense, as you know. Yeah, very intense every Tuesday. But a really good way to get established. Oh, absolutely. And a really good way to get you used to it. Going back to that fear, you know, I I used to, I've got a, I know you have a long term chronic uh, illness. Mm. I also have a long term chronic illness. I've got an underactive thyroid gland since I've had since I was 21. And there have been times when that has been quite debilitating. 
Um, and so I did weekly and uh, my thyroid is under control. It's fine. Um, but then I did it maybe for like two years or something. And oh, yeah, I was talking about the fear. So when I when my thyroid first kicked in, I used to get a lot of panic attacks and, you know, really struggled. And I felt Actually, just taking you back to, to that time, I, I had this moment where I put on three stone within six weeks without sort of changing my lifestyle. I got really ill and my brain didn't work properly. And, you know, it was all, all thyroid stuff and related. Mm. Um, but I remember sort of driving in the car. And do you remember that song many years ago by, um, I think it was by Garbage. It was called Stupid Girl. Yes. Um, yeah, I love Garbage. And the the lyrics in it was stupid girl, all you had, you wasted. And that was in my early 20s. And I thought, you know, shit, everything that oh. all the potential talent or brains or whatever had when I was a kid, because I was on the stage and, you know, dancing and, and, and you know, and OK and healthy. I thought, oh, God, all of all of that is gone, you know. And then I spent many years working on my anxiety and like getting back up and then doing the degree and, you know, the MA, getting on the radio, my hands shaking. So I think what I was going back to was going that weekly immersion, which you said you had as well, actually um, made me good at it again. Well, you know, I, I, yeah, maybe, yeah. yeah, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to own that. Yeah. So I'm going to I was just I was going to say, oh, I don't want to say I'm good at it. I am good at it now. Um and it made me good at it and happier and more comfortable because it's exposure to it, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, the fear is always of the unknown. So once you make something super well known to your body and your nervous system, the fear dissipates, even if it doesn't become your favorite thing in the world. Absolutely. I don't know about you, but I can't do public speaking. No. I'm terrified, absolutely terrified. My brain sort of buffers too much and then I can't make the sentences make sense. But it, I can talk really fluently and articulately if it's just me in my car driving away. Yeah. <laughs> But then you, you can record, luckily you can record that these days. So it's never, it doesn't have to be just you in your car, but I can't stand up and do public speaking. I'm terrified. I've done about four or five presentations and I've just crapped myself basically. But you probably uh, would get really good at it. Like the podcast, if you persevered, if you wanted to persevere. Yeah, I'm sure it, again, it for anyone, it's about perseverance. And you know, you think the frustrating thing is you think that should be in my skill set. Mm. Um, yeah. With the broadcast as well. I, I would have assumed that you were someone who found it really comfortable, but I suppose actually like I always think life is a little bit like a video game and every time you've defeated the big baddie at the end of the round you just start again at the next level and it's just the same thing but harder. This is the level that I cannot seem to complete and and you know what I can't be bothered these days to do it. Well, I've got I've got two panels coming up. I am going to be presenting panels but they're different because I'm interviewing yeah, people on I was stage. Say conversation if it's me in conversation me on a panel I'm amazing but me on my own terrible. Yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? But anyway, so those in, you know, going from doing the weekly was really good. And then I went to, um, to, uh, yeah, I don't know, a fortnight. I'm exactly fortnightly now because I've got new sponsors and they want me to, you know, I do actually get paid for it now. Not a lot, but there is some money in it. And it, there wasn't for the first two years or so. Um, so that, that's been a, a really good lesson is being able to monetize a podcast as well, because I realized that not everyone can. Yeah. So that was going to be one of the things I asked you about was just what your income streams look like, what this kind of mixture of jobs actually looks like for you and where the money comes from. Because I think it can look, for, again, from the outside, like she's always traveling, she's got kids, like how is she making any money? Yeah, no, the, I, I really like to be transparent um, about this, but nobody's asked me. So um, so it, it's good to be to be asked because people think that you're in the media and in the public eye. They think you're some sort of elite, you know, and, mm. and, and wealthy. And no, my finances are in... Uh, a terrible state really um I ADHD for you. yeah although that is yeah that too but I just don't have I just don't earn enough you know and mm. um so when I'm on tv and radio a lot like national television um national radio you know radio five live radio four bbc news channel um I don't get paid for all of those most nationals do pay but it might be like 30 quid or it might mm. be Weird. Um, so it's not a lot of money. Um, the podcast now, I, I started off with a new um, podcast company called Audi um, back in the beginning of this year, and they place adverts on the podcast. So there's been a few hundred pounds here and there coming in through that. It's a 60-40 split. I get 60, they get 40. But, you know, so, and, so not a massive amount, even though it's in the top clusters being in the top mm. 1% of down, globally downloaded podcasts, the, the figures for that are not exactly huge. Huge. It's about ten thousand a month, but that still puts you in the one in the one top global one percent. Mm. 
interestingly enough. Um, and um, and then on a complete curveball, which is one of my five or so jobs, um, I invest in property. Um, yes. Yeah, which is, uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever told anyone that, you know, publicly. Well, I remember when I was looking at the French house and we couldn't get the mortgage and you sent me a message saying, oh, yeah, I'm looking to invest in some property in France. And we had a bit of a conversation about that then. And I was thinking, this is such a such a clever way of using money at the moment that I think people don't think about. It's getting harder because the interest rates are getting harder. But I, um, I'm an accidental landlady and um, my first one that I rent out is a flat in London that I still own um, from before I got married. Uh, we had a flat in London and a flat in Brighton, one each that we had lodges in and basically stayed, had a, a great lifestyle actually, doing weekends in Brighton and work days in London. Mm. And then we we rented out my flat and bought a house in in London. So long story short, I've I've still got a two bedroom flat in London that I rent out. Um, it, it sounds like I'm like you know makes me this again. It does not make me this rich person. Um, but what I what I realised is, and a lot a lot of people realise this, um, is that and I don't know why it didn't occur to me before. I've you know accum- I'm only paying an interest only mortgage in that place in London, but I've accumulated you know. just over £200,000 worth of equity because Mm. I've owned it a long time and prices have gone up. So having done a little bit of uh, research online and actually an online property course, um, which I was a bit sceptical about at at first, but actually it's been very um, educational and helpful, um, I realised that I could release some of that and Ah. buy another flat and put it into another flat and keep that and rent. There's no point having £200,000 of equity in one property when you could have... You could split that and have two lots of rent coming in. And have more equity building in more the next property building. as well. Yeah. And for me, it's about monthly cash flow. So obviously, I'm now paying two mortgages on those. Um, and also together, David, my former husband, well, we're still married, but not together anymore. We had a, a, a home, that, you know, a holiday place that we bought in Spain. So I'm looking after that and renting that out. So whilst I'm renting at great expense, by the way, because it's really expensive to rent a three-bedroom flat for me and the boys to live in, a three-bedroom maisonette. It's nice, but, you know, it's still £1,500 a month. Crazy. I know. Well, that's Brighton for you. But it should be more now, actually. It's gone up. It would have gone up, but my landlord's keeping it down. I, wow. I just don't don't tell him I'm here, will you? Um, so I'm, I'm Don't managing... tell him about your property yeah, exactly. empire exactly. either. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like a property empire because I actually own three properties now, but really it doesn't, you know, it... I'm still in deficit every month. Man- mm. I'm, I'm managing three three properties. I'm I've got a journalism career, which on the face of it is my main career. I've got the podcast. I've got the two children. I've got some maintenance money from David for the children, and I'm still you know struggling every month. So it's about trying to be creative with earning money online and offline. It's not easy. It's not easy. It isn't easy, and and I think. The freedom and the beauty of having those different income streams means that you've kind of got a different sense of security, but it's also like feels like so much more risk. And it, it, everything you're describing to me here sounds really brave, like the the bravery, the courage to do the property thing and go like, yeah, I'm just going to take the equity out and buy something else. A lot of people might have the idea and kind of think it through, but there's something in you that takes the extra step and actually does it. Yeah, th- there is. And and I don't know what makes me do it, but I, I do do things. I mean, you know, th- there's a lot in my life that is badly organized, including domestically. And I'm a terrible cook. I'm a terrible organization. I can't seem to hang up clothes on hangers. They just fall off. My hands don't work. <laughs> uh, but I, I do get other stuff I, I do get done. And, you know, there are times that I'm thinking, you know, I do spend a lot of time um, leaving my messy house, closing the door, going out for coffee with friends. And then some people would say, oh, why aren't you working? Why aren't you doing this? And I actually think, you know what, I have to be kind to myself because sometimes I'm doing it to myself, especially when the house is a mess. But I have to be kind to myself. In the last two and a half years, I've left my husband of 20 years, you know, with two small children. I've moved to a town that I lived in when I was younger without kids, but essentially a a new town, Mm. made all sorts of, made new friends, trying to juggle five or six different jobs, income streams, you know, responsibility. Mm. And all during a pandemic, you know, when I've been set, like many of us, I've been separated from friends and family and people and places I love. Um, and you know, I, I feel that maybe we all need to be 
to kind to ourselves. And, and sometimes, you know, you're not lazy or procrastinating. You're actually healing surviving. and taking stock and surviving. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm surviving. Yeah. And I think about this a lot. This is something that getting the diagnosis of ADHD gave to me, although I don't think the diagnosis is strictly necessary, but it gave me a real sense of forgiveness of those things that I struggle with like you said hanging things up I, I relate to that I can't fold things like, yeah I can't fold why does my folding not work it mm. just does and then they just all go wrong and I also can't put pillowcases on in that way that they like tuck in and stay oh yeah, yeah no me too me too I cannot physic to what anyone else you're just like what is wrong with you it's like basic <laughs> basic tiny easy skills and, and dexterous I can do other stuff I can yeah. operate machinery I can I can dance I'm Drive. not bad oh, yeah. intelligent women but yeah and and what's so funny is we live in this society that is built to prize really really specific skill sets and sort of ties our value and our worth to things like having a tidy house having an organized cupboard um you know putting your things away certainly that's how I was raised like it's it's got kind of ties in religion I think it's got ties in just capitalism and industrialization this idea that like you should always be busy and there are certain jobs Mm. that you should always be busy with and you should be enjoying yourself as little as possible and that's how you're a good human and that's how you know you you've got worth also a good woman you know I think that maybe misogyny is a is a wrong word to use because it's not maybe misogynistic but it is very sexist. you know these are meant ex- sexist yeah it's meant these are meant to be good female traits aren't they and definitely yeah. I live in a world here in London and Brighton where my my friends are often the highest earners you know the female friends so we're not you know we're not like male female man you know these sort of old situations sometimes they're the highest earners sometimes the men do all the uh, the cooking or cleaning and they're, they're very good you know in that sense I use that badly but um but but still it still happens and it's still a lot of the women who are responsible for the for the tucking in of the pillows for the making everything look look nice particularly you know revert going back to you know what what you do and you know to a certain extent what I do on Instagram like everything looking good Mm. in in a way that's still a very traditionally female role absolutely and then when you think about the things that female influences the spheres that we get to kind of operate in it's still very much driven by like domesticity childcare, cooking beauty clothes and not to say anything bad about any of those things because I consume all of that content and yeah love me too creators yeah. out there in it and of course also there are lots of women talking about other topics but where the where the kind of the big support is I suppose from the brands from the agencies from the audiences still is in these spheres of kind of expectation so it's hard if you are a human and if you are a woman and you don't necessarily have those traits naturally or if you find it very difficult if you have a different type of brain you're wired in a way that does not make those things easy creates vast resistance to it there there is a lot of shame and blame Mm. and judgment that you put on yourself and that other people put on you and I think letting go of that like you were sort of saying and being like do you know what maybe it's fine for me to shut the door on the mess because that's something I struggle with and these are the things I'm amazing at so I'm going to go to a cafe and work today so I don't have to look at the mess or whatever that needs to look like absolutely and when I go out the house I mean I, I love my clothes I like putting outfits together you know I I feel like I, I look like I've got my shit together when I'm outside <laughs> of the house um, but no we should all be a little bit kind on ourselves and I think my I haven't been diagnosed but I would say you know I've done online tests and, and looking at the you know the, the the symptoms I would pretty much say it's almost guaranteed I, I do have uh, ADHD and you know and I think we should be our we should be kind on ourselves, um, you know, because we're, we're just all doing our best and not everyone can be good at everything. And there's a lot of shit that we manage to juggle. And I'm not just saying you and I, but you and I absolutely and pro- probably every person yeah. listening to this, where there's a lot of shit we have to juggle these days, a lot more than our parents have to juggle, you know, particularly because we do have these online lives and our businesses and our side hustles and our work and yeah, the kids and if you're a family of two adults both adults probably work it's quite unusual now for that not to happen just have a, like a, a reasonable standard of living absolutely so we, we need to be kind on ourselves I think so and I think we maybe need to just redefine what having our shit together looks like because maybe it's not what we were told like maybe having your shit together is like my children have all been fed today and yes. I actually brushed my hair and <laughs> completed some work so like check me out winning at life 
you know, I went to my friend Julie's the other day and uh, she's like me. She's, she's um, you know, got a few sort of health issues, chronic fatigue and um, juggling two children and, uh, you know, trying her best to make, you know, money on the side. And even though she has a, a, a great husband as well. And she, when I went round to her house, she said, I'm not going to tidy up, you know, um, I'm going to I'm going to let you because she knew that I was getting overwhelmed with my domestic situation. She said, I'm not going to tidy up. I'm going to let you see me as to how it is yes. on a daily basis. And I went upstairs. I'm stepping over Lego boxes and, you know, clothes, shoes. And I'm like, yes, thank God. You know, this makes me feel so much better. It's like kindred spirit. And not everyone needs to be like that, you know, but it, it's good to know that we all have our different skills and, you know, then not everyone's going to have the same positive and negatives. It's interesting as well, because that's kind of what it sounds like your miscarriage documentary did for other women going through child loss. Mm -hmm. In that it kind of like it's with all these areas and a lot of them are, are familiar to us as women where like we just hide our reality. And there's mm. this reality that we're all sharing or loads of us are sharing, but we're all keeping it very quiet and closed behind us. And then it's only when you go through it yourself, you're kind of like, why, why does no one talk about mm. this? That's exactly what happened. I found my miscarriage treatment because I did ultimately find the best miscarriage doctor, I think, in the world. Uh, in fact, I've had him on my podcast because he has an incredible story. He was arrested as a political prisoner and tortured in Sudan. And, and now he's like one of the world's best miscarriage episodes. But um, when I when I first started filming it, I couldn't really I knew I wanted to do it. Um, and I found out the information about him on Mumsnet. And I never went on Mumsnet because I wasn't a mum. And to me, it sounded really twee. Actually, I found I found Mumsnet really useful, the forums, um, since becoming a mum. But be and even before then, for the for, but I hadn't discovered it at that point. And I was like, why are we not talking about this? So I started filming my experience. And, um, you know, at first I couldn't sort of help but be, oh, you know, this is me and like sort of happy and whatever. Yeah. I couldn't cry. I couldn't cry, actually. But um, when I got into it, I, you know, I, it's like a warts and all documentary there's a lot of sobbing there's a lot of like you know it was very heartfelt and in, in the end it, it did really well on discovery we were in every single newspaper every magazine I was on everything from BBC News to ITVs to Loose Women I went on Loose Women and sat on the uh, <laughs> you are a on the, uh I was yeah definitely <laughs> and sat on the uh, on the panel there with them and um you know I still up and up until it was 2015 October 2015 it was released for baby soft baby loss awareness week 2015 and for many years afterwards I used to get Facebook messages mainly or Twitter messages um from women all over the world saying you know thank you for, for 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 talking about that because not a lot of people do in fact you know talking about online stuff and the stuff that we we're missing and the stuff that we're not paying attention to I actually own the rights to that documentary really? have I put it on my YouTube channel no, I haven't. And so many people have asked me for it. And I've sent private links. It would take me, what, 10 minutes to yeah. upload it to my YouTube channel? Can I do it? No. How many years has it been? Eight. You, know, you need to six make, years. make some money from a project and pay a virtual assistant to do these things for you and get it all done that way. I do. I'd love a virtual assistant. Is that what you do? Have you yeah, got one? I have, okay. I, have an well, I have an amazing little team. And um, mm. Claire in particular is like my right hand girl. She just and, and she just gets it. I'm like, for some reason, Claire, this job, I just can't make my brain do it. I know I should just do it. And she's like, just send it to me. I'll do it. I'd say you need to you need to recruit people who a lot of people recruit people in our likeness, don't we? Yeah, that's because a that's fun and that it's a mistake. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I you've got to, to find someone with like that compliments you rather than reflects you. It's just another thing to beat myself up about that how little time that would take me to get out there. And actually also how many people it would probably help, you know. And and, yeah. and again, from a shallow point of view, a bit like when my Twitter account that I neglected it and I feel embarrassed that I should have more followers really about the time I've been in the business and, and everything. I feel a bit embarrassed. I'm going to put him on, I'm going to put this miscarriage documentary online and it's going to what, have two views. You know? <laughs> but everything's got to start with two views. Even, even the most viral video of all time had two views at some point. Uh, yeah. Yeah, was that was it going back to the day it was like charlie bit my finger yeah like, and now up. look didn't they didn't they pay for his university education or something from the video it wasn't even very funny <laughs> <laughs> it was the naive early days of the internet we made do with what we had exactly exactly what i'm thinking is other you could monetize that on youtube as well yeah see i've i've got youtube videos with a lot of um 
views, some of them, like not a huge amount, but some of my travel videos that I used to do for Sky, I uploaded onto YouTube and some of them have like over 10,000 views or whatever. Am I monetizing them? Have I switched adverts on? No, I haven't. I'm, I'm like making a list as we talk, right? She should be self-publishing the ebook. She should I know. be approaching sponsors for the podcast directly because that'll be more money. Like I've got, I've got a plan for you. No worries. You, you, I should totally hire you as my coach. That should be my next step, really. I'm available people on booking for the next six months at the moment if you'd like to hire me all right I'll, I'll do it let's do it <laughs> available to all listeners also uh, one of the things that I was thinking about when you were talking is covid hit and you were already going through quite a lot by the sounds of it you were already separating mm -hmm. moving juggling and I think a lot of people might assume covid is not the best time to be a travel journalist what was really fascinating to see for me was that you seem to be busier than ever yeah, professionally, it was a great thing for me. In fact, it, you know, I'm not saying that I planted that whatever it was in Wuhan, but you know, <laughs> professionally, it was brilliant. And my, my profile went really high because there was a lot of travel news. Um, you know, there's more travel news than now. I haven't been on the radio for about 10 days um, at the moment. And that's because uh, when, we're, when we're currently recording, you know, the, the Queen and everything. Of course. Um, but um, but yeah, COVID was an immense time for me because there was a lot of travel news uh, because I was reporting on red list, green list, and the flashing <laughs> list. Somebody did something weird to France out of the blue for no reason. It was crazy. Um, so professionally, it was great. Personally, it was just one of the most hideous experiences I've been through in my life. And that's somebody who's, you know, had five miscarriages. Um, it was really, mm. really hideous. You know, like we talked about closing the door on, you know, the house and getting out and about. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the time I'm doing that to travel abroad and not just because I love traveling and exploring and which I do, but also because, you know, I grew up in Spain. I speak fluent Spanish. My mum and dad and many of my close friends are in Spain. My dad's from the Fiji Islands. You know, I just I've got friends and family and things that mean an awful lot. Home. Home yes, like many of us do. And I just it, it, it just it just closed me off from all the things I love, not just abroad, but at home. And again, this sounds shallow, the cafes, the bars, the restaurants. On the one hand, I worry about sh sounding shallow about that. But on the other hand, these these are the things that make me happy because I, I do get miserable when I'm in the house. You know, Same. I do hit, a, 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 you know, some lows when I'm in the house. And again, because of the, you know, the, the difficulties you and I have here, it sounds like we have we have similar reasons to get out and about. So to have all that taken away and just me and the children in the house all day uh, was very difficult, particularly the January, February, March mm, the winter weather. lockdown of 2021. Yeah, you can go out for a walk. I mean, who wants to go for a walk when it's January? <laughs> I love walking, but even me, I was like, oh, for God's sake. The kids are refusing and you're like, have I got the energy to literally pull them along? Exactly. And being a single parent, can I pop out even for a pint of milk on my own? at that point no I could not go I, I was trapped and it was absolutely hideous so yeah work was a wonderful space uh, escape back to the internet at that time talking to even you you know I'm not saying even you but you like you're <laughs> saying like even you Sarah was good to talk to but no talking to just all of those friends that you yeah. make online those friends and contacts that just kept me sane Absolutely. Absolutely. I've so, been so grateful for the internet. And my response to the hideousness of lockdown was to buy the house in France was just to go home feels too small. Like I need somewhere more. I need I need new horizons and new problems and new challenges. And I've certainly bought plenty of those. Oh, well, I can't <laughs> wait. I'm definitely totally inviting myself for a visit. Yes. I think as a as a travel expert, you, uh, you know, you definitely want me there. I don't know why I can't do anything around the house. No, you can just you can just be expert. You know, just give me your opinion in an expert way. <laughs> I'll certainly buy some cheese and wine from a local That's shop. I'm really insane. good at that. Yeah. Really good at purchasing cheese and wine. Excellent. That's the main skill set I'm looking for in businesses yeah. to the French house. And if you're any good at catching spiders, you would also be useful. Uh, I'll have to bring my two sons. Amazing. Uh, yeah. Set them, yeah. Set them on that one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But no, I think it's a wonderful thing. You know, like I said, I, I do know about property. I sort of denigrate my experience inside the house. But in terms of, you know, buying um, good good houses and you know I seem to have a skill for that I, even if I can't sort of make them look nice inside I certainly seem to be able to to manage them <laughs> well it's, I think it's a really clever plan and and uh, like I said the the courage to do what you do and the courage to keep reinventing and the courage to kind of keep moving forwards I think it's the thing that's made your life exactly what it is and 
It's, it's really inspiring for me to watch and hopefully it's inspiring for other people to listen to and think about maybe where they're being more passive when they could be more creative or maybe where they need a little bit of courage and a little bit of FOMO, it sounds like. It's like that fear of being left behind is a driving force. Yeah, it really is. It absolutely, it it really is. You know, I, I do have massive FOMO and, you know, when I look, you know, back to something like Instagram and I think, well, I'm not doing as well there as I, as I should be. Um, but, you know, then I have Twitter and I've got the podcast and I've got my out and about life and okay, I might live in a house that I would like to be tidier, but, you know, again, back to being kind on ourselves, we can't, we can't do everything and we can't be everything to everyone. And that's something that we really need to, you know, take to heart these days because life is, is is complicated we're juggling an awful lot and we really need to just you know accept that we can't be good at everything all the time my final question lisa where is your favorite place in the whole world now you'd think as a travel journalist who has been asked this quite a lot <laughs> right. i would have a good answer for this and i do not have a good answer i don't want um, your good answer though i want your messy you answer my bad, my bad answer messy and real. um i do you know what i choose to live here in this country i choose to live in the uk it's not always easy um but i think it's beautiful and i think you know what excites me about being here i, I will find a place for you abroad but i'm going to say what is really <laughs> yeah, is what is a real buzz about living in this country for me. When I was growing up in the Costa del Sol, I had this very wonderful barefoot childhood running around. You know, obviously, we did wear shoes, but it felt like, metaphorically yeah. speaking, it was a barefoot childhood running around the beaches and the swimming pools and the sand dunes and camping holidays and the hills and the rivers and amazing food and horses and festivals and, you know, sunshine, a really fantastic childhood. We were lacking in a certain type of culture. And that's the sort of popular culture that really excites well, excited me as a, as a young child and a teenager. I wanted the magazines from here. I wanted Just 17. I wanted smash hits. Oh, yeah. I wanted to know what was going on in the charts and what was on TV. We didn't even have TV. You know, we were quite deprived in that sense, apart from the wonderful barefoot childhood. So when I came back here at the age of, it was a month after my 16th birthday and my, I was coming back here to do my A-levels because I was at an English school in Spain that, that didn't, I couldn't stay on to do my A-levels. We couldn't afford it actually. It was cheaper for me to be here. And so I went to live in a family, first of all, in the middle of uh, Stratford and Avon, and I hated it. It was everything that I wasn't used to. People mm. that were going to bed at like 10 o'clock at night and, you know, barely been away from their parents. And I'd had this, you know, incredible childhood. I came to Brighton. So this is my favorite place in the world, place. I came to Brighton to visit my boyfriend who was living on the Costa del Sol and he was from here and he moved back here at the time. And I cannot tell you how exciting it was and indeed still is to be here in Brighton and indeed London where it just gives you the sense that this is a place that makes things happen. Mm. From growing up in a sleepy village on the Costa del Sol, very seasonal, very touristy, to coming here and you know, you know, this is where music is created. You know, with a great history of it, you know, walking down Carnaby Street or, you know, all these in incredible places with EMI and the, the studios and everything. You know, this is a place where fashion is created. You know, this is a place where some of the world's top chefs are created. So to me, I still absolutely get the excitement. If I walk into a news agent, this sounds really weird, but and see all the dual colored, <laughs> the dual colored wrappers on chocolate bars and the the uh, newspapers and the smell that just makes me really excited. And I I love the sense that anything can happen in this country. And this is where we create trends and history and okay we have you know some dubious history Fiji where my dad's from was a colony so I know mm. what it's like being on the other side of that but this is where you know a place where we can be really proud of so I, I don't know if that's an answer but you that's know a great answer actually I, don't get me wrong I'm really happy being in a, on a Thai beach or in a wonderful mountain or you know in a five-star hotel which I've been lucky enough to go to but yeah here it really does being in the UK particularly London and Brighton I know it's not the same across the UK yeah. just really just really feeds my soul in that sense I love that answer I think that's really like entirely valid and it makes me reflect on the fact that so often what we crave as an adult is what we didn't have as a child because I I want the opposite I want sleepy villages and <laughs> I want 
I want no outside interference and nothing happening. So I don't feel like I have to be doing. But I'm already seeing that Ola wants the opposite. She wants to go. She keeps saying she wants to go mm. and live in New York. So Yeah. And the opposite for me, you know, I haven't eaten meat for 20 odd years. And my my eldest, Sebastian, who's 10, he loves meat, but he loves animals. He wants to live in the countryside. He wants to run a farm. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. Are we going to be completely different people? But we do. We 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 want the opposite, don't we? So Ola so can Ola can come and live with me for a while, and Sebby can come and live with you. We'll Amazing. Have yeah, we'll just swap a swap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa, where can people find you online and enjoy more of your work? So, um, as I said, my biggest place is Twitter, which is lf at lfnand. On Instagram, I'm at Lisa Francesca underscore Nand and also at the big travel podcast. So basically just Google the big travel podcast or Lisa Francesca. And you, no, I can't even get my name right. Who am I? My goodness. Lisa Francesca Nand and, uh, and you'll find me and hopefully I'll put up my miscarriage. I was going to say, yeah, by the time this goes out, maybe it will already be up there and I can include the link maybe. Yeah, that would be good. And actually. your book Maybe will be on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> My book is actually a love affair, uh, a love story to um, to Brighton and um, in in the nineties. It's all oh, a bit of a um, it's a bit a bit of a journey into drugs and dancing and raving and things, which is a whole other story. <laughs> oh my gosh, we need that. Well, we need that story. So I'm going to keep pestering you about it. Thank you. I'll see how I get on. Yeah, I might actually hire you to be a professional pesterer. I'm very good at it. I am very good at that. <laughs> I hope that's on your CV, professional pesterer. Professional pestering services. Exactly, yeah. It was so lovely to talk to you in real life. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Show notes for this episode are at meandorla.co.uk forward slash podcasts forward slash 114. You'll find links in your podcast app to everything we talked about lisa's twitter lisa's instagram and anything else you might need also if you're listening to this in real time i should do some self-promo and mention to you that i'm selling christmas cards with my is it famous we'll say famous photo of my car with the christmas tree on top maybe you've seen it it was in vogue no big deal I'm selling them with 10% of proceeds going to Women for Women, which is my chosen charity. And they're on my website, meandola.co.uk. I've also done for the first time, by popular demand, a photo calendar. So one big photo of mine a month. I'm shipping them worldwide and they will be available for the next couple of months. So if you would like to get one before the new year starts, so you can make use of every page, same place, meandola.co.uk. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Okay. I will see you very soon. I hope you're having a wonderful December or whatever month it is by the time you're listening to this. And I will talk to you very soon. Take care.